Great. Thanks, Steph. Can you guys give me a thumbs up to make sure you can hear me all right? Excellent. Uh, well, it's good to it's good to be uh, with you on Sunday. It's sad to not be with you in person, but I'm glad to see all your smiling faces. Uh, um, we're going to look at quite a large section of Joshua, uh, and Steph kind of read the cap ends of it. We're going from Joshua 13 all the way up to 21, and strap yourselves in. This is a long one. No, I'm just joking. We're gonna we're gonna pick out a few bits uh, and uh, look at uh, some of the themes as a whole. So it's going to be really good. I just want to remind you about Q&A. If you have a question, pop it in the chat. Hans will look at it uh, and uh, he'll ask me at the end. How about I pray? And then we'll get straight into it. Let's pray. Father God, you are good to us. Even though the world is hurting and uh, many of us are suffering in lockdown, uh, we are so thankful that we do get to come together, even online, hear you speak to us, sing together, have some fellowship. Uh, Father, I pray that now as I proclaim your word that uh, no one would see me, but they'd see just how wonderful you are. They'd see just how beautiful Jesus is, just how amazing the gospel is, so that we all might uh, repent of our sin and trust in Jesus all the more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, uh, we've been locked down for a while now, right? Uh, I, I've lost count of the weeks. I don't know how many weeks. Is it six? Is it eight? I'm not sure. But when lockdown started all that time ago, uh, I got into a, a bad habit of the lockdown laziness, right? So, so whenever I had any downtime, I was just kind of sitting on the couch watching TV or playing a game or something. And, you know, it was like that was relaxing, but it wasn't restful. You know, I wasn't doing anything, but afterwards I just, I didn't feel rested. I didn't feel like I'd been filled up and, and I was ready to tackle whatever I had to do next. And it reminded me that, that actually resting and relaxing, they're not the same thing. You know, relaxing kind of made me all chill and I was like, yeah, I can take my mind off whatever. But it didn't fill me up. Right? It didn't prepare me to keep going and pushing hard and working and uh, loving my family and, and all that stuff. I needed to find something that would actually fill me with energy and make me feel good. And, you know, it, it wasn't fair on Jess if I slept all day and night. So I needed something different. So I, I had an idea. I decided to build an alarm clock. And you're thinking, Tim, why are you building an alarm clock? Well, you know, I played with hobby electronics before and uh, the degree I did at uni, I kind of learned a little bit and, and I really wanted to build something. And so I set myself a challenge of building an alarm clock and I have it right here. You ready? Check this out. Here is my alarm clock. Now, it doesn't currently work, but it will, trust me. And, and it's one of those alarm clocks that don't make a sound when it goes off, but they light up. And so what I can do is I can plug in a battery right here. And I can show you that my alarm clock lights up. It's pretty impressive, right? I can tell you're all impressed. I can't hear you're impressed, but I can tell you're all impressed. Now, working on that thing, it's, it's not always relaxing like lying on the couch, right? Like, sometimes it doesn't work and I can't figure it out and it's really frustrating and I have to redo bits and I have to figure out what the problem is. But overall... It, it gives me energy in a way that sitting on the couch doesn't. In, in a way that the rest of my work doesn't. It's, it's different and it makes me feel better whenever I get to do it. 
And so, so I do it and I feel rested. It's become my lockdown hobby to combat the lockdown lazies, right? And I'm sure you, you guys have come up with lots of different ways uh, that you combat the lockdown lazies with the lockdown hobby so that you feel better about being stuck in four walls all the time. Uh, lockdown might have made many of us realise that rest is actually really important. And even though we're home a lot more, it's actually a lot harder to find rest, isn't it? Because, you know, for many of us, kids are running around like crazy. Uh, we can't go out and see the people we love or do the things that we love. And so we've got to find these opportunities to rest. And so we start lockdown hobbies, baking, knitting, making alarm clocks. We don't want to do nothing because we know that that's not restful. We want to find something that makes us feel better. And so my question for you today is, what gives you lasting rest? Now, that, that alarm clock, I'm going to finish that. And it won't provide me rest anymore. In fact, its express purpose is to wake me from my rest, right? It's not going to provide rest forever. And any other hobby is not going to be perfect. It's not going to last forever. Everything that can provide us rest now is temporal. It's not going to last. And so where can we find a rest that will last forever? And not just in lockdown, but for all of life. And as we look at these chapters in Joshua, from chapter 13 to chapter 21, we'll see that God actually gives his people rest. He gives his people rest in the land. But Israel's rest actually points us to a far greater rest. The rest that God offers us in Jesus. And so in order to find this rest that we have in Jesus, first we need to talk about obedience. And so my first point is that God promises rest for those who obey. God's promises are for those who obey. And we see this as Israel go about receiving the inheritance that God has given them in the promised land. In Joshua so far, to do a very quick summary, we've seen Israel, they've entered into the promised land, which they've waited hundreds of years for, and that they begin this campaign of conquest and they kind of take out the middle of the promised land and then they head south and they take out the southern parts and then they head north and they take out the north. And they've finished the conquest of the land. And we know it's God who fought for Israel. We've been seeing that for the last number of weeks. It's God who's given them victory. It's God who has given them this land. But now come with me to Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. Joshua 13, verse 1. We're going to start in Joshua 13. We're going to move to our second reading. And then we'll we'll, uh, move to the New Testament a little bit. So make sure you have a Bible in front of you. Um, It's going to be super helpful for you. Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You are now very old, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. Now, God isn't trying to rub into his face the fact that Joshua is old and has done a bad job. He he wants to show Joshua that, Joshua, actually, your time leading Israel is coming to an end. You can't go out and in before the armies of Israel anymore. Actually, the job of finishing the work is now for the rest of Israel to do. And although, Joshua, you've taken a lot of the land, and Israel had taken a lot of land, there was still some work to do. And so God is saying, I've given you the land. Joshua, I've given it to you. Israel, I've given it to you. Now go and divvy it up. Drive out the rest of the nations. Go live in the land that I'm giving you. And that's what he says in verses 6 and 7. So come with me to verse 6, about halfway through. God says, I myself 
will drive them out before the Israelites. Be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance as I instructed you, and divide it as an inheritance among the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. God is giving his people an inheritance by commanding them to go allot the land and go live in it and, and inhabit it. And as these chapters progress, as we move into chapter 14, 15, 16, and so on, we see that the tribes, they're now responsible themselves to go into their portions of the land, drive out whoever remains, all the while trusting that God will fulfill his promise to be with them and drive these people out. That's the condition of their inheritance. That's the condition of God's promise. I'm giving you the land, but you need to go and take it. Now there's this old horror movie trope, right? The, the creepy uncle dies and uh, the family, they have this inheritance and it's a creepy old house. And for them to inherit whatever money comes with it, they have to go live in the creepy old house for like a night or a week or something. And so they go and it turns out the house is haunted and they have a terrible time. But there's a condition for their inheritance. Go inhabit the house. And that's what it's like for Israel. There's a condition for their so Sorry, for their inheritance. It's inhabitants. Israel, they must obey God and possess the land. Now, the land isn't like a creepy old house. Remember, this is the land flowing with milk and honey. This is the best place you could be. There's no ghosts or anything that are going to drive you out. So Israel, they, they must obey God to inherit and possess the land that God is giving them. Their obedience is based on faith. That God will do what he promises. Their obedience is that they trust that God will actually drive out the lands and that they'll be able to inhabit the land themselves. This is illustrated in chapter 14, which we won't read. I'll just summarize it for you. An Israelite named Caleb, who was obedient and faithful to God a long time ago, he's commended for going and possessing his land by smashing the Anakites, the people that were living in the land at the time. And in the negative in chapter 18, Joshua rebukes the people for not going and possessing the land. He says, why haven't you done what God has told you to do? See, Israel, they need to obey to inherit. And their obedience is based on faith. And it's the same for us. Our inheritance isn't the promised land. It's eternity with God in heaven. We receive that by obeying God's call to trust in his son. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it says this, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move on from the hope held out in the gospel. The key word there is in verse 23. It's if. If you continue in your faith. If you do not move from the hope that you have. Do you want to receive the inheritance of eternal life? Do you want the rest that Jesus offers, which we'll come back to in a bit? Well, you need to obey that condition. Never depart from faith. Never stop trusting Jesus. Never move on from the gospel that we've been given in the Bible. Continue in your faith. Don't look for something else. Don't look for a spiritual experience. Don't look for a special gift from God. Look to Jesus for your hope of inheritance. Obey God by always trusting in Jesus. And so in Joshua 13, we've seen that the condition of inheritance is obedience, 
Same for Israel, same for us. But a really important part of Israel's inheritance was rest. And this brings me to my second point. God gives rest to his people. God gives rest to his people. So uh, flick over now from Joshua 13 and come to our second passage, Joshua 21. Should only be a few pages over in your Bible. And look with me at verse 43. Joshua 21, verse 43. The Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. This verse is kind of a summary of chapters 13 to 21. Israel, they're finally settled in the land, they've possessed it, they've inhabited it, just as God promised that they would have it. Israel, they're finally in the land. They've waited hundreds of years for this. And as they finally rest in the land, well, as they finally inhabit the land, God gives them rest. That's what it says in verse 44. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he'd sworn their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. God gives Israel rest. And, and, and this instance, it's rest from their enemies, rest from invasion. You see, God's he's broken the back of any resistance in the land. There's going to be no more alliances of kings like we saw in Joshua 10 and 11. They're not going to rise up against Israel. God has given them rest. Now, Israel, they, they didn't get rest forever. You know, it's not like they had perfectly obeyed God. There were still people in the land. We see that throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And so there is still resistance. There is still invasion. They do leave the land because God takes their rest for their disobedience. We see that throughout the rest of the Old Testament. But the point is, to the extent that Israel have inhabited the land, and to the extent that they've driven out the people that were there, God has given them rest. You see, God is in the business of giving his people rest. And so what about us? Israel, they get the land. We don't get the promised land. We we don't get to live in the same land they get to live. That's not being promised to us. So what's our rest look like? Well, their rest actually points to our rest, right? Israel's rest and God fulfilling his promise of blessing them with the land, it points to the rest that we have in Jesus, which is better by far because God fulfilled his promise to Israel by giving them the land. But God fulfills all his promises in the man Jesus. And so in Matthew 11, Jesus says this. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Jesus offers real rest. Rest better than building an alarm clock or cooking sourdough or whatever it is. And as good as those things are, Jesus offers eternal rest in heaven forever. And Jesus doesn't just offer us rest then. We don't just have hope for rest then, which is real and good and we look forward to, but he actually offers rest to us now, right? If we trust in Jesus, our sin has been forgiven. You know, there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we have peace with God. Our relationship with God is restored. Last week, we saw that we were actually God's enemies, like the kings who came up against God. But if we're in Jesus, we have rest and peace with our God. We have peace 
now, just like Israel had peace back then. Now, lockdown is hectic for many of us, right? We've lost so many of our opportunities to rest. Uh, just this last week, Jess and I found out our holidays had been cancelled. We can't go on holidays anymore. And I'm sure it's the same for many of you with school kids who are, and you wanted to get away on the school holidays. But we, we can't go out and do the activities that we love. We can't go out and see the people that we love to see. We can't even go to the movies or a restaurant with our friends. It's really hard to rest now. But we can rest in Jesus. And he will offer a real sense of peace. We can look forward to our better rest And that will sustain us and keep us going. But we can also have a real sense of rest now. You know, we don't need to be frantic about life like our neighbours. We don't need to put all our hopes in the end of a lockdown, right? Because we know we have a better rest. And that gives us a chance to rest now. We don't need to prove our status with our jobs or our houses or our cars or our education. We don't need to prove ourselves. We can rest in the fact that Jesus has secured our status As children of God. We don't need to experience everything. We don't need fear of missing out. Because we will never have missed out in heaven. We're going to have the very thing we've been made for. We can rest. We don't need to live the hectic life that the world is striving to achieve. Jesus offers us rest from that. He frees us from the hecticness of this world. And so we can experience real rest now and we have an eternal rest that transcends this world and lasts forever. How can we make sure we have that rest? How can we be sure of that hope? Well, that brings me to my third and final point. We enter God's rest through obedience. Now, that might not have come as a surprise to you, right? That's what we've been talking about so far. Israel entered God's rest through obedience. Israel obediently possessed the land and God gives them rest. And like I said earlier, Israel, they didn't rest for all that long. They disobeyed God. They didn't drive out everyone from the land. In fact, they intermingled with them as God told them not to. They adopted their gods and they worshipped idols as God commanded them not to. They uh, disobeyed God over and over and over. And so God said, you can't have this land. No more rest for you. And they lose rest. So how can we make sure that we don't lose our hope of rest? Well, come with me to our third reading that we had. Hebrews chapter 4. If you have a Bible, flick over there. We're going to spend the rest of our time there. Hebrews chapter 4. All right, here we go. And have a look at what uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 says. Therefore... Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short. God's promise of rest still stands. Israel, they fell short. And this is a warning for us. Don't fall short. Israel fell short. But God still promises rest. So if we're not to fall short, what does it mean to fall short? Well, that's verse 2. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Israel fell short because they lacked the faith to obey. They didn't trust God enough to obey him. They didn't trust God enough to go and possess the entirety of the land and drive everyone out. 
They didn't trust God enough to obey him by only worshipping him. They didn't trust God enough to give them rest from their enemies. They fell short, and so they fell short of entering God's rest. They didn't trust God enough to obey. Now, we can enter God's rest by obeying, and we obey by trusting. You know, I I was um, cooking some cookies a while ago now, I was making these cookies uh, that I saw online and that they were chocolate chip cookies. They're meant to be like super tasty, right? They were meant to be amazing. And so I got this recipe, I looked it up, I got all the ingredients, got it all together and I was ready to make it and I followed the recipe to make these cookies. Mostly, right? I mixed it together and did it in the right order but when it came to portioning out the cookies, I always thought to myself, you know, Tim, I think I want bigger cookies. I want cookies that are bigger. And I'm happy to have a few less cookies if I, if I make them a bit bigger. And so I portioned out the cookies a bit bigger. And I spread them out on the baking tray a bit more so that they'd have room to kind of like expand and stuff. And, and I thought I was good. Whacked them in the oven, went about my day. And when I came to check them, there was a problem. They had expanded so much. They had grown so much that they almost filled the entire baking tray. Instead of having like six cookies, I had one big cookie. I, I have a photo here. These are my cookies, right? They were still delicious. They tasted amazing, but there was only two cookies. Now, we, we broke them up and had them in little bits, but I didn't trust the recipe enough to obey it, right? I didn't trust that the person who had made the recipe had carefully figured out, you know, if I'm going to put them on a baking sheet and they're going to expand this much, I need to make sure that I don't make them too large. And I didn't trust the recipe enough to obey it. The question is, do you trust God enough to obey him? Because that's how we get eternal rest. You want eternal rest? Come to Jesus, who gives us rest from a COVID world. Come to Jesus if you're exhausted with life, if you feel run off your feet, if you feel like you don't get to rest. Come to Jesus. Because not only does he offer that rest I described earlier now, but he offers us eternal rest. So that anything in this life is not worth comparing to the rest that we'll have in Jesus, where no virus can infect, no schools can shut down, there's no sickness or pain or crying, where we are with our God, our Creator and our Saviour. If you want that kind of rest, come to Jesus. Now you might want to find out more, right? You, you might not be convinced about whether God is trustworthy enough, and that's totally okay. I've only given you a small snapshot. Join us for the next few weeks as we explore our new series on hope, right? Uh, Come back with us in October because we're going to have a short series on what the Christian faith is all about. We call it Introducing Jesus. We'd love to have you join us for that. Fill out one of those communication cards. You can find the link in the chat. You might need to scroll up a bit. But you can let us know in our communication card, I want to find out more about Jesus. And We love talking to people about the hope Jesus offers. We love showing people how we can trust our God. We love showing people the hope that we have. And we love it even more when people come to accept that hope. And so reach out, let us know. We'd love to connect with you. Even if we can't do it in person for a little while, we'll do whatever we can to share the hope of Jesus. Israel, they had to obey God to inherit the land and have rest in it. Ultimately, they failed. Will you obey God by trusting in Jesus? Jesus has done it all. There is nothing left for us to do except for trust in Jesus. Jesus.
That's how we can have eternal rest. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the rest that we can have both now and in eternity. I pray that we would take hold of that rest. That we would long for eternity when we can live with you forever. Where the pain and suffering of this world will be a thing of the past. And I pray that now we would find our rest in you. That we would not be sucked into the hecticness of the world and, and, and all its, the difficulties that come from that. But we would find our rest, our identity, our security, our peace in Jesus. So that we are freed from that hecticness. Father, I pray that you would give us a real sense of rest today, for the rest of lockdown, for the rest of our lives. Amen. Well, thanks, Tim. Um, and uh, as, as I said before, we are going to go into a time of Q&A. But, um, yeah, we've already got one question. Um, I was going to ask a different one, but I'll just jump in with the, uh, Kate's question. How does Joshua 21, 43 to 45, God gave Israel all the land he had promised, fit with the fact that the Israelites didn't actually take over the whole of Canaan? Tim. Yeah, great question. Um, and uh, sorry, can you hear me? I just bumped my mic. I didn't turn it off, did I? Yeah, we can yeah. hear you. Perfect. Um, so, uh, yeah, it does sound like uh, chapter 21 says God gave them everything. But uh, you turn a few pages and read the book of Judges and it's clear that there are still people in the land and that Israel haven't taken all the land. So how do, what's going on there? Is Joshua 21, 43 to 45 just a big fat lie? Well, uh, I would say no, it's not. Um, but it's a fair point to raise. And so I think what you've got to realise as we're looking at these chapters is the writer of Joshua, he is, um, we might like to think of him as an idiot from the past, or maybe idiot's a, a too harsh a term, but, you know, he, he's not historically accurate, but, you know, he's a smart guy. He's writing this stuff down. He, he knows that... Um, there are people still in the land. And so if he writes a big fat lie, that people are going to call him on it. And it's just going to be obviously not true. So uh, the author who's writing this, Joshua, as he's writing this, he, he's not writing um, to say every single part of the land that God promised us we have taken. It's more the sense of every single part of the land that Israel was obedient to possess, God gave them. That's the promise that uh, is fulfilled in, in Joshua 21, 43 to 45. Uh, to the extent that Israel were willing to go and possess the, hand, the land, God gave it to them. Now, they could have been more obedient and possessed more of the land, and God would have given them more of the land. But every part of the land that they went to possess and take, God gave them that. And so that's what I think it means in, in Joshua 21. Does that make sense? Hans, would you have anything to say? I feel like you're more the expert on these kind of questions here. Um, yeah, no, I, I had a similar question. I was going to raise, raise it with you in uh, Star Me. Uh, I, I think, um, uh, yeah, I, I do see an interplay between God's faithfulness and the people's obedience or lack thereof, right? And I think God has been faithful to his side of, of the thing. And I think there is a sense in which um, uh, 
God's God's faithful God uh, is working through all the way through in the book of Joshua is working through their their work. So if they go on to take a town or a city, God actually goes and takes it, right? But there's a bunch of towns that they just don't do. Uh, they don't take the land. Uh, and there's a bunch of parts of the land that they don't take. So God has been faithful to that, uh, to his promises to them, but they haven't been faithful to um, to those promises. They haven't said, okay, God, you're going to do this. And, um, and so therefore... Uh, we're going to fulfill our, our part of the bargain. Um, what, one of the questions people may ask is why, why didn't they go and go to the land? The conquest took about seven years. And so they might've just got exhausted by the end of it. That's a long time to be at war. Um, but anyway, there's another question. How, uh, how do we think? Um, okay. I think, Andrew, I think I, I get what you're saying. How we are, um, how are we to think about obedience to God versus the obedience to the to the state, right? Especially under COVID, where um, the laws uh, seem to go against what we feel like we've been created to need and want and desire. And so, how are we meant to yeah work that out, Tim? Great question. And just a real simple little one. I love it. Uh, and this is very timely, isn't it? Because uh, uh, at this very moment in time, we're all very aware that we would love to meet in person, but can't, right? And Hebrews 10 uh, tells us, do not give up meeting together. And so there is a sense of command that meeting in person is not just a good thing for Christians, but an obedience thing for Christians, Yet the, the flip side is passages like Romans 13, where it talks about God has appointed authorities for restraining evil and, and they're under his authority. And so we should obey them. Uh, and so I think there's, there's a bit of a spectrum to how we think about these things. Uh, while, while the authorities that God has put over us uh, allow us to flourish in uh, obeying God and, and preaching the gospel and things like that, then absolutely we need to obey those authorities. So uh, if they say, don't speed, we don't speed. If they say, uh, don't break into someone's house and take all their things, we don't break into someone's house and take all their things. Uh, we obey the authorities. Uh, pushing it right to the other side, uh, if authorities are actually stopping us from obeying God, if, if authorities are saying, uh, Christians, you're not, you're not ever allowed to speak about Jesus. In fact, you're not even allowed to believe in Jesus. Then at that point, um, Christians have to say, no, you are earthly authority, but God is the cosmic authority and we're going to obey him and not you and we're going to believe in Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to go breaking the speed limit and breaking into people's houses, right? Because that's not obeying God. That's a separate issue uh, of whether that's right or wrong. Um, but to the point where authorities stop us from obeying God, we need to obey God and not the authorities. And then there's, there's kind of a spectrum between, right? Uh, and it lands in the realm of wisdom. Is, is this prohibition or is this thing that the government's telling us to do, is it actually against God's will or not? Sometimes to answer that question, we really need to ask, well, what, what does God want from us? And so if, if uh, a government banned churches meeting uh, as like 
organizations we might have to ask well what does that look like for us as a church mm. do we need to do house churches um, if we're not allowed to have a church organization that owns property well then obviously uh, we, we can't meet at church so maybe house church is the way to do it but maybe um, if they're cracking down on that maybe there's something else we have to do and move further along and it's maybe we need a uh, what do they call it a vaccination passport to go to church well, that's thoroughly in the realm of, you know, it's, it's tricky to figure that one out because um, the government is really, what they're trying to do is seek to protect people. And so they have put this measure in to protect people. But does that mean we have to be disobedient to God by turning people away from our community? Well, we, we really have to think about what are the implications of this thing? Um, if I was to obey the government, would I be disobeying God? We've got to think about that. And, and I'm not saying I have the answer to that at all. I think we uh, will need to think into that in the very near future. But things like we're not able to meet in person, well, for a time, I think we can put up with that. Um, that that's happened before. There's been plagues before and there's been pastors before that have said, you know, I'm not going to go out and, and spread this infection uh, and that's how I'm going to love my neighbour. But if once the pandemic's over... And, and the risk of infecting others and the danger has reduced significantly. If they continue to say, you're not allowed to meet at church, at that point, we'd, we'd probably go, well, we're going to meet anyway, because that's what God has commanded us. And that was a long answer. Was that helpful? Um, can I just follow that up? What I, um, what I think Andrew may be getting at is when there's a law, oh, well, no, Andrew has said it's good, so I'm not going to follow that with another question. So you've done a great job. Um, uh, I've got a question that actually I got texted to me. How does how does the idea of a heavenly rest, the rest in Hebrews, and the rest that you've been talking about, help the exhausted mum that's running after you know two to four to seven kids? every day and trying to homeschool them and do all the motherly things that, that she normally does? Yeah, good question. Um, and, and I think it's important to say that the, the rest Jesus promises now isn't rest from being a mum. It's not a rest from fulfilling your responsibilities as a worker in the organisation you work in. It's not, a, uh, it's not a rest to stop working, right? Uh, Genesis 2 is where we first encounter the idea of rest in the Bible. Uh, it says, after God had finished creating his work of creation of six days, he rested on the seventh day. That's not to say God has never worked since then, because then we wouldn't have the book of Joshua, where God actually works to go and give Israel the land, and we wouldn't have uh, Jesus, who became a man, who actually worked to save us. So God rested from a particular work, but he still works. And our pattern of rest isn't that we sit on the couch and do nothing. That's not the rest Jesus offers us. But he does offer us the rest of knowing that we are at peace with God, that our identity is in Christ. And so all the things that the world chases, we don't need to chase those. We have rest from those. But we still work as a mother or myself, I work as a father to love and care for my kids and that can be hectic at times. And those times make me look forward to the heavenly rest that comes. And so we've got to balance the fact that we still have responsibilities and things will be busy and we'll need rest from those responsibilities at times. So 
We really want schools to go back, right? We really want daycare to start back up. We want rest there. But we have rest in Jesus from um, chasing the things that the world loves. We have rest in Jesus in that our salvation is secure. We don't need to worry about that. Yeah. Last question. Um, As sinful people, we all continue to sin. How can we be sure of our salvation when we continue to fail? Yeah, great. I'm glad this question came up because uh, I didn't have time to cover it earlier. And so uh, thanks for asking that question. Um, Israel Israel failed to obey. Uh, Are we in danger of doing that ourselves? Absolutely we are. And the book of Hebrews is full of warnings like um, chapter 4 that says, make sure you don't fall short. And those warnings are really serious. We have to take those warnings seriously so that we don't fall short. But our assurance is that we don't actually have to go and possess a land. We don't have to go and wipe out. Um, sorry, we don't have to go and take land physically. We don't have to actually do anything. We don't even have to please God in how we act. Our obedience is to trust the one who's done it all. And so our assurance doesn't come from us obeying by doing anything our assurance comes from jesus died for us he's already paid it all he rose from the dead he's defeated death as long as we trust that is true well then our uh, hope of rest is sure and so as if we continue to obey by continuing to trust in jesus and never departing from jesus then we will have assurance and so the warning is for us not Make sure you take all the land and don't miss a bit. The warning for us is make sure you never depart from trusting in Jesus because that's where our assurance of hope is. Well, Tim, thank you so much. If you've got questions, more questions that um, come out of this talk or um, or anything with Joshua, please contact Tim. He, is, he would love to chat with you about those. And um, we're going to sing our next song, a great song to end end today on.